Hi, thanks for joining us. Welcome to the Antarctic Report podcast. I'm Nicholas O'Flaherty, editor of the Antarctic Report, an online portal dedicated to all things about Antarctica. Each week I talk to an outstanding scientist or adventurer, a writer, an historian, environmentalist, policymaker, people who actually work down on the ice itself. In fact, anyone with a real connection to Antarctica and a compelling story to tell. In January 1841, two wooden sailing ships of the Royal Navy pushed their way through the pack ice of the Southern Ocean. The ships were under the commands of James Clark Ross and Francis Crozier. They were attempting to reach as far south as a ship could go in search of the South Magnetic Pole. Thumping their way through the ice, they sustained violent shocks which most other ships would not have withstood. HMS Erebus and HMS Terror had been heavily built to withstand the recoil of firing heavy mortar bombs. They were chosen by Ross for their suitability in sailing through the dangerous sea ice of high polar latitudes. Ross's faith in his robust ships was rewarded on the 9th of January, 1841. After days of bashing their way south through the pack ice, remarkably, they sailed into open water. Ross had discovered the sea that would later bear his name. Today we call these open stretches of water surrounded by sea ice polinias. It's a Russian word. They're often found in the Ross Sea, formed by the catabatic winds descending from the polar plateau. These strong, cold winds blow away the ice forming on the sea surface. Ross's expedition sailed further south through this open water. Soon, he discovered the southernmost active volcano on Earth, which he named Erebus after his ship. But an even more spectacular discovery awaited. A low white line appeared on the horizon. As they sailed closer, they were presented with an extraordinary sight. A perpendicular cliff of ice extended as far as the eye could see to the east. Ross called it the barrier. Today we know it as the Ross Ice Shelf. The size of Spain, it's the largest ice shelf in the world. The ice shelf floats on top of the Ross Sea. The most southerly point of its grounding line, where the shelf finally meets the bedrock, is located almost a thousand kilometres to the south. In that dark cavernous reach under the ice shelf, Water circulating from the Ross Sea represents the southernmost reach of the world's ocean systems, a mere 500 kilometres from the South Pole. During his voyage across the open water, James Clark Ross noted the presence of many whales. The nutrient-rich waters of the Ross Sea support an abundance of marine life, from plankton to large marine mammals. There are seven fish species found nowhere else. It's considered the most productive area in the entire Southern Ocean, with many species in Antarctica depending upon it for food. By the late 20th century, with fish stocks declining globally, the largely untouched waters of the Ross Sea began to attract the attention of fishing fleets. In 1996, fishing boats started catching the Antarctic toothfish in the Ross Sea. The fish were sold as Chilean sea bass in high-end restaurants around the world. Soon the Ross Sea developed into a major international fishery. Scientists and environmentalists became concerned that one of the last pristine seas would suffer the same fate of many other parts of the ocean. Fisheries in the Southern Ocean are governed by an international body within the Antarctic Treaty System. It's called the Commission on the Conservation of Antarctic Marine Living Resources, or CAMLA. In 2002, scientists began to lobby CAMLA for a protected status for the Ross Sea. 
After many years of lobbying, in 2016, all member states of Kamla voted to create an MPA or Marine Protected Area for the Ross Sea. It becomes effective from 1 December this year, 2017. There are many heroes behind the success of that campaign. Individuals, representatives of national governments and NGOs. This week in our podcast, we speak to one of those heroes, Lewis Pugh. Born in Britain, raised in South Africa, Lewis Pugh became a successful long-distance swimmer, notching up memorable swims such as the English Channel, Robben Island and Lake Malawi. It was in 2006, however, with the swim down the River Thames, that Lewis began to use his swims to raise public awareness about the dangers of global warming. Soon, swims in the Maldives and across the North Pole followed. Lewis Pugh became an advocate for the protection of the oceans. The media dubbed it Speedo Diplomacy. In 2013, he became United Nations patron of the oceans, and his attention turned to Antarctica. In 2015, Lewis made a number of swims in icy Antarctic waters, including the Ross Sea itself, gaining significant media attention. He made a special visit to Moscow to promote protection for the Ross Sea and lobbied hard to secure the Russian government's commitment for a marine protected area. In the milestone vote last year at the Kamala Conference, Russia's consent proved critical. Lewis Pugh, welcome to the Antarctic Report. Thank you very, very much. Uh, Lewis, look, tell me, you're a long-distance endurance swimmer. First and foremost, I guess that's what that's what you started off doing. That's what led you down this journey, this remarkable journey. How did it start? You're English originally, grew up in South Africa, and you did some swims around Robin, Robin Island, the English Channel. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yes, it's, it's actually, it's been a 30-year journey. So 30 years ago, I had my first long-distance swim. I swam from Robben Island to, to, to Cape Town, and I absolutely loved it. I, um, it, it. It was such an enjoyable experience that from that moment onwards, every single year, I tried to do a swim which was a bit a bit longer, a bit, a bit tougher, a bit, perhaps a bit colder than the previous year. And, right. um, and, and, and the swims got more and more difficult. It wasn't that I, I planned to go down and swim in Antarctica, but th- there were three of us who were doing swims, and between the three of us, we really took all the major landmarks in the world. Myself, a lady called Lynn Cox, who's an American, and a, a Slovenian swimmer called Martin Strell. Mm-hmm. I started a little bit later than them, and so I was left with all the, all the cold places. Right. Uh, and uh, I, I then focused on doing swims in the Arctic and the Antarctic, swimming further and further north and further and further south. Over time, they became, you, you started to raise awareness for environmental issues by doing these swims, yeah? I mean, are you an environmentalist at heart? Yes, yeah, so that when I started swimming, uh, as I said, none of the famous landmarks in the world have been swum. I, I was swimming them because I, I love the challenge. Mm-hmm. But then I, I began to start seeing the oceans changing. You know, when I did that first Robin Island swim back in 1987, mm-hmm. I started on Robin Island, and, and there's a beautiful penguin colony there on Robben Island. And, uh, you know, if you go do a swim now on, on Robben Island or from Robben Island to Cape Town, you'll be lucky if you see a penguin. And I've swum in all the oceans of the world, the, the Atlantic, the Indian, the Pacific, the Arctic and the Southern Ocean. Mm-hmm. And over a period of 30 years, I've seen them change. Everything from glaciers retreating, sea ice melting. Uh, I've swum over coral reefs, which, which were beautiful 10 years ago now, which are absolutely destroyed. And, it, and it, was a, it wasn't that I started off as an environmentalist, but I became one in this process. Mm-hmm. I, for me, it was a question of, like, 
you know, do you stand by and, and watch this tragedy unfold or do you try and make a difference? And I was very, very lucky. So I'd been educated in South Africa at the end of apartheid. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, has, it, it was a really exceptional uh, group of teachers who were teaching at the University of Cape Town at the time. I had two lecturers who had both won Nobel Prizes, one Desmond Tutu, the other J.M. Kutsia in, 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 in literature. A number of my lecturers had been imprisoned Mm -hmm. um, fighting against apartheid. And so there was this sense of, of justice. Mm -hmm. And soon for me, this this whole campaign became an issue about justice. Mm -hmm. How dare we destroy, you know, down in Antarctica, the world of the emperor penguin, the world of the, you know, the humpback whale and, and, and the albatross, all, the, these animals which have lived for thousands and thousands of years undisturbed. How do we dare destroy their world? in the space of just a few years. When did you start focusing on Antarctica and in particular the Ross Sea? Um, so I did my first swim in Antarctica uh, on the peninsula back in 2005. Mm -hmm. And I think that really was the tipping point. I did a swim in a place called Deception Island. Yep. And as you may know, it's a, it's a caldera. And, and, and what that means is it's an island, which was, it was a volcano and it has sunk into the sea. So if you imagine a, a horseshoe shape, and so you can actually sail into this island. And uh, about 100 years ago, it was a big whaling station. The Norwegians did a lot of whaling there. And I did a, I did a swim there. And during the swim, as I swam across this bay, I, I, I swam over literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of whale bones, jaw bones, rib bones, spine bones. And I finished that swim. And I remembered all the beautiful whales that I'd seen off the coast of, of New Zealand and South Africa and Norway. Mm -hmm. And I, I came away from that swim saying to myself, these swims which I'm doing around the world, they can't just be about swimming. You have a unique perspective. You're in the water. Uh, I, I was also a maritime lawyer at the time. Uh, and I said to myself, Lewis, you now need to try and be a voice for the oceans, but especially for the polar regions, which I love so much. The oceans, in terms of the deep south polar latitudes, the part of Kamlad. Well, yes, yeah, so that, that's the, the important point, that when the Antarctic Treaty was set up, it, it dealt with the continent, protecting the continent, setting aside Antarctica as a place for peace and science, Antarctica as a landmass. Mm -hmm. But as you know, all, all the animals that are done in Antarctica, be they whales or penguins or, 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 or other birds, well, the fish, they're all in water, and that, and that wasn't protected. And so what was needed then was a, a, a series of protected areas around Antarctica to protect them. Mm -hmm. And this is all done under the umbrella of Camelot, which is the Commission for the Conservation of Antarctic Marine Living Resources, mm -hmm. a very, very long acronym. Yeah. And it's, it's a, an organization, the 24 members plus the EU, the 24 members are... Uh, most of the Southern Hemisphere countries, so South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, Namibia, Chile, Argentina, and then the, the main nations in the Northern Hemisphere, which have got an interest down in Antarctica. So three years ago, I got involved with Camelot with trying to get this area down in the Ross Sea protected. Yeah. And it's been an incredible journey over three years. 
Under CAMLA, they have the ability to designate Marine Protected Areas, MPA, yeah? And you were, for a number of years, you were leading the fight, as it were, certainly raising the awareness of creating an MPA, a Marine Protected Area, around the Ross Sea. Many people call that speedo diplomacy, and uh, I know that the Russians were the last ones to, they were hanging out, but you made a special effort there. Do you want to tell us a bit about that story? Yes, so, so three years ago, there were two countries remaining, uh, who hadn't signed up to it. So all the other 24 nations and the EU had agreed it. Um, and, and, just, and just to put in perspective, the Ross Sea is a very, very special place. If you sail from the bottom of New Zealand and you sail from 40 degrees south to 50 to 60 to 70, eventually you will see the incredible mountains of, of Victoria land. And it's a very sparse place. It's desolate. It's it's one of the most remote places on this planet, and it's the home of the emperor penguin, of humpback whales, of, of killer whales. It's, it is just one of the most incredible places. And for scientists, this was this place was so important because it was the most intact marine ecosystem left on this planet. And uh, so they wanted it protected. And uh, uh, the main danger was coming from... Uh, big industrial fishing fleets which were going down there and wanting to, to catch a fish called the Antarctic toothfish. Mm-hmm. Uh, of the 24 nations, they all signed up except China and Russia. Uh, President Obama, uh, as, as you know, he, he grew up or spent part of his childhood growing up in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And he and Secretary Kerry, who grew up in, in, in Boston and has a passion also for the oceans, both of them had a real passion for the oceans. And so it was Australia, sorry, it was New Zealand and America that proposed this marine protected area. Mm-hmm. And, and probably in retrospect, that, that wasn't the best idea. The reason why it wasn't the best idea was just because the world is, unfortunately, the reality of the world is, is it, it's, it's, it's divided at the moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, if one country proposes something, then another country may be reluctant to sign up to it. Yep. Uh, there were two countries that... that initially uh, weren't in favor of this marine protected area, as I say, was China and Russia. Uh, Secretary Kerry and President Obama made a special visit to China and got them across the line. So the final country was Russia. Mm-hmm. And how do you persuade a country which is is in the Northern Hemisphere, which traditionally looks north, it sees itself as an Arctic nation. Uh, it's thousands of kilometers away from Antarctica. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's involved in two serious conflicts, one in Syria and the other one in the Ukraine, um, and has crippling sanctions facing it. How do you try and get them to make this, you know, to, 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 to join and, 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 to, and to be involved in this situation when they've got so many other very, very important issues on their plate at the time? Mm-hmm. Uh, I felt so strongly about the issue. I went and did a series of swims down in Antarctica in the Ross Sea, yeah. well, in, well, in what was frankly well, well, very extreme conditions. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Lewis, what, what was it like swimming? And you were wearing nothing well, but speedy. You weren't wearing a wetsuit, were you? What, what was it like swimming in that, those sort of icy waters? It's horrific. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't describe it in any other way. I mean, I, 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 swam, in, I, I swam in all over the world. I, I did a swim across the North Pole um, back in 2007, but nothing quite compares to the Ross Sea. The water is minus 1.7, so it, you know, salt water freezes below zero. But the yep. air temperature was minus 37. Oh my God! And all I remember was just before I got into the water, 
uh, a wave hitting up against the side of the little zodiac which we were in. Yeah. And the water spray came up and actually froze midair. Good God. So all I could think about was, oh my gosh, when I get in this water, when I pull my hand out of minus one, I'm going to be putting it into minus 37. Yeah. Um, but I had an incredible photographer with me, an incredible cameraman, and they took this these pictures of me doing this swim, and we took them to Russia, and it was astonishing. Uh, I, I literally got, got got put in front of of, of all the media in Russia, mm-hmm. and for a period of three days, I, I was interviewed by every single major newspaper and TV station in Russia, and it really became a you know, a very big issue in Russia. Right. My message to them w- 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 was very, very simple. It was, it was in fact a Russian who discovered Antarctica. Admiral Bellinghausen in 1820, nearly 200 years ago, discovered Antarctica. Mm-hmm. Russia has got more scientific bases down in Antarctica. Of the 13 seas around Antarctica, five of them are named after Russian explorers. I said to the, to, and, and then I, 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 I met a number of senior government ministers there, and then finally uh, spent time with President Putin's number two, a man called Sergei Ivanov. And I said to him, it's right, it's proper, it's fit. It's very important that Russia, uh, now having discovered Antarctica, is at the forefront of protecting Antarctica. And it was an incredible moment last year in October when Russia finally signed the deal and the Ross Sea Marine Protected Area now is the biggest protected area on the planet, land, land or sea. Yeah. It's 1.5 million square kilometers, which is, in European terms, it's the size of Britain, France, Germany, Italy, all put together. It's, wow. it's an amazing achievement. What does it mean, Lewis? The Marine Protected Area, what will that do to the Ross Sea? What sort of level of protection are we talking about? Well, the, the, the actual enforcement of the of the area will only start so it only comes into force in october this year yeah and uh, there is there are areas set so the ross sea is an enormous place i, I mean it, it's absolutely enormous mm-hmm. it takes 11 days to sail down there yeah uh and, and when you're when you're there it probably takes you three four days to sail across it and on a fast ship um there is an area set aside where there will be no fishing Mm-hmm. There is an area set aside where there will be some fishing, and there's an area set aside where there will be some research taking place. Yeah. So, so what 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 had to happen is that it had to many interests had to be balanced. Uh, some people were upset. Some scientists were upset. They felt it could have been bigger. Uh, some of the areas which are which are set aside now for for scientific research, they felt could have been bigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but what I said to them was that, I mean, as you'll hear from my accent, I, I, I live in South Africa. The, the Kruger National Park, which is our biggest national park, started off fairly small. Mm-hmm. And now over its history, uh, you know, every couple of years, another area is added to it. And now it's an absolutely enormous national park. The Ross Sea Marine Protected Area, as far as I'm concerned, is work in progress. Yeah. Uh, uh, and also to remember that it has a sunset clause. People were very upset with it having a sunset clause. The, the Chinese delegation were, were, were determined that there sh- should be a sunset clause. And so after 30 years, um, 
they could then review the data yeah. and see whether it'd be possible to do sustainable fishing in the Ross Sea again. Tell me, how many minutes were you swimming in the waters of the Ross Sea? I mean, how, how long can you actually stay in that water? Oh, I did... Um, well, seconds, in I total, <laughs> In total, so I did... Uh, the first swim I did was... We, we sailed from Invercargill at the bottom of New Zealand, and uh, on day three of the expedition, we got to a little island called Campbell Island, mm -hmm. which is sort of halfway between... New Zealand and Antarctica, and I just did a quick test swim there. And as I got into the water, within seconds, an enormous, great fur seal just surged down on top of me. Uh, and I, I've never seen such a big seal, and I got out pretty quickly. Uh, we then sailed for another sort of seven days, and finally we got to Cape Adair, which is the first cape which you reach. I did a 500-meter a swim there. Okay. Uh, which took me around around about ten minutes. Okay. Uh, as a test swim, and then we swam to the Bay of Wales. I did a three hundred and fifty. I wanted to do a kilometre. So normally I swim a kilometre. When yep. I, when I swam across the North Pole, a kilometre. It normally takes me round about twenty minutes to complete. Yep. I swam th three hundred and fifty metres, uh, and my hands went completely white. Wow. And we're completely frozen. And I realized that if I didn't get out there, I would never get to Moscow. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, it, was, it was interesting. This weekend I was with some, some mountaineers uh, who, do, who have done some mountaineering down in Patagonia and some of them in South Georgia off Antarctica. And all of them uh, are missing fingers and toes, every single one of them. Yeah, yeah. And I think... I think I'm the only person who's still still got them. You, you need to know when to get out. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Congratulations on the Ross Sea. I mean, your efforts certainly, uh, I'm, I'm sure, helped enormously in, in that decision last year. I see you, you haven't given up on Antarctica, though. Is Ross Sea just the beginning? Tell us about Antarctica 2020. Yes, absolutely. For me, it's just the beginning. Uh, now, you know, just to explain, it took, it took 17 years for that decision to take place. Yeah. So 17 years ago, an American scientist called David Ainley said, we need to protect the Ross Sea. If we don't, this place is going to be destroyed. Uh, and uh, the negotiations actually lasted for five years. I was only involved uh, uh, for, for, for two years in those negotiations. But it took an awful long time. And there are other areas around Antarctica which are equally need protection. And... Uh, a number of member states have now come forward and are recommending marine protected areas in other parts. So the Australians have a proposal on the table. Together, it's co-proposed by uh, the French and the European Union, mm -hmm. and they would like to see marine protected areas in three seas uh, in East Antarctica. And the seas are in the Davis Sea, the Somov Sea, and the Cooperation Sea. And then there's also a proposal being discussed now about having a marine protected area that the Germans are proposing it in the Weddell Sea. Yeah. And there's also proposals for marine protected areas in the Scotia Sea and in the Bellinghausen Sea. And so I am now working very, very hard going between all the member states, uh, speaking to the environment ministers and speaking to heads of state to try and get all these marine protected areas up and enforced by 2020, which is the 200-year anniversary of the discovery of Antarctica. Yeah. 
I, I don't think that we, I think it, what, a, what a wonderful thing it would be if by the 200 year anniversary we could have all these areas protected. And if we're successful, and I think we've got a very, very good chance of being successful, if, we, if we're successful, the area protected will be approximately, together with the Ross Sea, will be approximately 7 million square kilometres, which is about the size of Australia. Yeah. So it's, in, it's, it's the largest conservation plan in history now to try and really properly protect the last great continent on this earth. There's nothing like having ambitious targets, yeah? Otherwise, you'd never achieve anything. Each year, Kamala meets, of course. And, and do you go to those meetings, Lewis? You're communicating with Kamala? So um, I went two years ago. And then last year, when the negotiations were taking place, uh, I was uh, working very hard with the Russians to get them across the line. So I wasn't down. They're, they're held every year in Hobart. Yep. And so I was in, in Europe uh uh, working very, very hard to get the Russians across the line. But I hope to be there this year because, as I mentioned, Australia and the European Union and France have got this major proposal on the table to get these three areas protected in East Antarctica. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really excited to, to, to see those getting across the line. Yeah, absolutely. You're a really busy man. Uh, you're not just focused on, on the Antarctic, of course. What else are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm about to depart for Canada um, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is about to declare a very, very large marine protected area in Lancaster Sound, mm -hmm. which is in northwest Canada, up in the Canadian Arctic. It's an incredible place uh, with narwhals, you know, these beautiful animals with long tusks. Yeah. Um, and he's setting aside, or Canada is setting aside a very big section of that because it's Canada's 150th birthday. And okay. so I'm, I'm excited to go up there and he's invited me to do a swim there as part of the celebrations. And, uh, well, I'm very excited to be part of it. You're a United Nations patron of the oceans. Yes. You read some of the research about acidification of the oceans. You read about the plastic that mankind is putting into the ocean. And, and of course, we're learning each year more and more about the, the very long cycles of ocean circulation, hundreds and thousands of years, etc. Are you an optimist or a pessimist or a bit of both? I mean, how much do you think mankind, humankind, has irreparably changed the ocean systems? As I mentioned earlier, I've been swimming for 30 years uh, and I have seen enormous changes taking place in just my lifetime. Yeah. Okay. Some of those changes, so I was in the Maldives uh, a few weeks back. Uh, as you all know, they're the lowest lying islands in the world. They've got some of the most beautiful coral reefs. I was swimming across them just 10 years ago, and I was swimming across the exact same coral reefs a few days ago. And uh, to see it is shocking to see it uh the the huge impact which climate change is now having on our on our coral reefs so the, these the are these these are coral reefs that have been bleached yeah yes correct so yeah. uh when i when i was when i was swimming there 10 years ago the water temperature was about 29 degrees centigrade mm -hmm. which is absolutely lovely and the the coral can survive at that temperature now the <clears throat> recently uh, so there, there's been a a you know an el nino which took place uh, the water temperature was up to 32, 34 degrees in some places, and the coral has has, has all but died in, in various places in the Maldives. And this is having an enormous impact. You also mentioned pollution. Uh, uh, last year, I was uh, in India at Vasova Beach, which is a beach in, 
in Mumbai, uh, where they, the world's biggest beach cleanup is taking place. It's now been going on for 84 weeks. Mm-hmm. The, the, the pollution on that beach was in some places up to your kneecaps. Gosh. Okay. Yeah. Plastic, plastic bags, cement bags, shoes, clothing, uh, you name it was on that beach. And, and a young Indian lawyer decided enough was enough. And for 85 weeks, he went down and cleaned up this beach with friends, with tractors, with lorries, with, and it's amazing to go there now because he's been able to, 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 to clean this one big beach in India. And now it's, it's moving to other beaches in Mumbai and around India. And, and so you ask me, am I a pessimist or am I an am I optimist or a pessimist? I'm a hopeholic. <laughs> I, I pray that, <laughs> I, I pray that people can see that we are changing our oceans and that we can make, and we can make an enormous difference if we decide to, but it's going to take, it's going to take governments. It's going to take business. It's going to take scientists and determined private individuals to turn this thing around and time is not on our side well lewis we we certainly wish you the very best of luck with those endeavors um not just in the antarctic but around the world yeah thank you very much thank you so much thank you nicholas that was lewis Pugh, united nations patron of the oceans if you'd like to know more about the ross sea marine protected area or the antarctica 2020 campaign led by lewis Pugh check out the episode notes on antarcticreport.com where you'll find more weekly episodes of the Antarctic Report podcast. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a question or comment, email us at info at antarcticreport.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Antarctic Report. If you like what we do, you can review the podcast on iTunes. You'll be helping others to find us. Thanks for listening to the Antarctic Report podcast. See you next time. Thank you.